You're listening to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Ryan Heshka. Uh, Ryan is a Vancouver artist, uh, painter, illustrator, um, whose new book from Nobrow is Mean Girls Club, as well as you had work in Blab, um, the much-missed uh, anthology mm-hmm. of the early aughts, and this is, what's this called? Oh, the ABC Spook Show. Yeah, my early self-published but you did a, a prop, like, someone else published after, right? Um, yeah, first of all, thanks for having me on Ink Studs. Oh, uh, thanks, Ryan. It's a, a privilege to be here. Um, yeah, it, the uh, ABC Spook Show book was, was picked up locally by um, Simply Red Books. Okay. Yeah, so. And then you also have a kid's book, which I didn't realize until I was looking on the internet. Yeah, I've got a couple of kid's books uh, through um, Henry Holt. Um so the first one is Welcome to Monster Town, and then that, the follow-up was uh, Welcome to Robot Town. Nice. Yeah. Now, it's funny, uh, Mean Girls, uh, oh, we have a lot to discuss because you have a lot of different work, and one of the things I was thinking about, um, and this is kind of like starting present, usually I work my way from older stuff to, to beginning, but you brought all these pages with you, and I'll probably take a photo of this selection of pages, if you don't mind, just so folks can see. Sure. Um... And so this work, Mean Girls Club, is actually, like, not indicative of your regular work, like, stylistically, because it's more um, kind of illustration layers-based, mm-hmm. where with the rest of your stuff, uh, you're saying it's gouache paintings. Gouache, oil, um, acrylic, generally, yeah. yeah. But just, like, very colorful, bright colors, where Mean Girls is very limited, mm-hmm. very particular, and, like I was saying, it's layered, so it's kind of like... Um, Looking at these things, it's like you've done it. Um, do you know, like the old comic books, how they do ruby lift coloring? Mm-hmm. So it kind of reminds you a bit of that, and like yeah. that prep for salt screening. Exactly. That's sort of what I was going for when I was. Um, and we, I guess, we can talk more about the origin of the Mean Girls project. Yeah. But it's sort of it's it. That's a whole. That's a different thing. But <laughs> um, yeah, that goes further back. But uh, yeah, so the preparing the artwork for me, it was it was sort of I was looking at a lot of old comics. I wanted that sort of uh, crappy, misaligned printing techniques. I knew I was going to go with a, a risograph printing um, to achieve that sort of happy accidents and blobs and blurs and and weird you know colors and things like that. So um, yeah, the the artwork was all prepared on 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 uh, sort of a, a main black layer on like a Strathmore paper, and then uh, vellum overlays of, of the, the tonal uh, tonal layers from there. The accents. And what's that? The accents. The accents, exactly, yeah. And um, yeah, I had started sort of fooling around with Photoshop a few a few years ago, and, and this sort of brought me a little further up to speed, uh, kind of forced my hand into uh, learning a bit more about Photoshop and, and basics like... Um, Half, creating half tones and prepping things for print and, and that so sort of forced me out of my hand painted um, shell I guess and, and into um, into sort of the digital digital end of production. So you would take the, the stuff you did and kind of put it in a Photoshop and change it around a bit. To... Yeah Photoshop it sort of drop out the background make sure everything was sort of um, pure you know pure black and white um, and then uh, create the half tones at a fine enough dot so that it um, still looks like some kind of an image, but you know, um, still prints 
in the risograph, which is sort of limited in terms of its resolution and, and sharpness. So, now the original, um, you did two colors, or is there a third? Nope, two colors. Two colors. Uh, same with the Nobrow edition too. Um, so the yeah the. Uh, I mean, the reason for that was mostly economy, yeah. um, and uh, it was something I'd never tried before, so I didn't want to go to Haywire with the color choices, and um, yeah, so it was sort of, there was, a, I think, a 10, 10 color selection in Rizograph, maybe 12, so it was pretty, you know, pretty limited. It's neat how uh, you've also chosen, like, a really, like, a darker paper, like, it's almost... Um like a light beige or like an eggshell yeah it looks like someone had been smoking in a room for 40 <laughs> years with the comic it has that sort of you know yellowy teeth appearance soft white sort of tobacco-y color um and that was yeah i sort of worked with the the risograph um, company never press i should mention them because they were great to work with um in in burbank and um they had had um i'd sort of described the color choice to them and they sent me a, a few samples and um, we're really great about just sending me sort of uh, selections of their work and all the sort of different, um, both the limitations as well as sort of all the different uh, elements and, and looks that you can sort of uh, achieve through Rizograph, which is fantastic. Yeah. It has it, a really sort of hands-on. Well, it feels um, great. Yeah. It's like a silkscreen. It's like silkscreen photocopy combination. It's it's really fantastic. It's really neat how it's um, kind of taken in comics by Storm. I don't know if you've seen some of the stuff that's been coming out but it's uh some of it yeah not not enough but there's a lot <laughs> yeah I, yeah at lucky's for instance yeah there's a ton of uh, a wall of risograph stuff and it's fantastic to look at i have one comic someone sent me that's just this bright pink like brighter than the pink that you have on the on the no brow edition of mean girls and it's like the most it actually hurts my eyes yeah and i was just amazed they're able to do that with the rest of yeah that's what I was hoping. I, you know, I think the, the Rizograph comic uh, that I got printed, the Mean Girls, uh, I think it was a little bit brighter. I think it might have tamed down a little bit because I remember time. opening the box and it was just like this sort of like... <laughs> There's like puff flood of, Yeah, exactly. Flood of like... But just uplit. My, my face was uplit pink, you know. That's awesome. Um, but uh, I think the colors do maybe tend to dumb down a little bit over time. But Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's not a stable arc archival printing no exactly it's sort of very it's very uh, back to the 1940s comics is very temporary it's very sort of like um i don't want to use the word crappy because it's a it's a really cool process but it is it is sort of that disposable yeah uh, sort of medium and uh that's what i really liked it's an immediacy yeah and uh yeah and and the sort of fact that every comic is a little bit different sometimes the lips move around on the faces a lot like you'll see well if you had copies to compare them to you'd see that the where the lips are printed pink against the black face it's like they start to move up and down in really <laughs> odd odd proportions yeah the cigarette just kind of hangs there yeah the yeah exactly the cigarette hangs the hair sort of floats away from the uh, the body um so comics uh kind of weird old pulpy comics was a big thing for you growing up yeah, I think right from the get-go. Um, I grew up in Winnipeg and uh, spent a lot of time indoors. I wasn't very sporty, and uh, the winters are really long, so that sort of, I think, really helped me focus on drawing art-based sort of, uh, you know, um, 
hobbies and and, uh, and ways to spend time. And uh, we went to the library a lot, and in the library, I quickly discovered the the comic section because I sort of was buying Batman off the rack and stuff in the seventies, and um, quickly became really interested in all the sort of reprint books of the seventies um, about EC comics, um, underground comics. The Golden Age, the Jules Pfeiffer Golden Age mm-hmm. uh, book that he put out. Um, what else was there? Just a, a, there seemed to be a lot of stuff in the seventies, like sort of nostalgia boom. So that sort of exposed me to a lot of of, uh, of the the stuff that was happening um, in the nineteen thirties, forties, fifties in pulps and comics. And then uh, I discovered uh, Comic World, run by Doug Salipa in in Winnipeg in around nineteen eighty, and that blew my top that just totally opened it up because then there was like not just reprints but actual golden age comics and actual sort of back issues of things and that and stuff was, was affordable at that point it was although i didn't have a you know i wasn't yeah. employed i was you know i was a kid but um my parents were pretty generous with taking us there and buying us a three dollar <laughs> comic and i thought it was a big deal but um so that you know i, I sort of just you know, of course, pre-internet, I just sort of like was scrounging around for as much as I, I could at that point. And really, for some reason, all the, the old stuff really spoke to me. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Are there any illustrators at that time that you found you've stuck with that were really inspirational? Um, definitely. Uh, Frank R. Paul, uh, the, the sort of the grandfather of science fiction um, illustration, right, as soon as I saw his stuff, it just sort of, there's something... Um, Something clicked. It was like, like uh, science fiction soulmates or something like that. Um, I, I, I just I saw his work. Um, I latched onto it and I've never let go of it. It's it's always sort of been there. Um, so he did like pulp covers. Or? He did pulp covers. He was he was doing the first uh, amazing stories was the first sort of dedicated science fiction pulp, and he was doing the covers for that for the first four years exclusively as well as the interiors mm-hmm. um so working with hugo Gernsback um in this sort of partnership that they had uh doing the art for his magazines doing the art direction so he was the he was the house artist illustrator and really kind of set the tone for that uh early era of, of science fiction um you know that sort of uh, Buck Rogersy kind of science fiction, but then also sort of looking forward into the future with you know moonwalks and vertical rocket launches and things that sort of really came to be. Um, mm-hmm. Oddly enough, as, as fantastic as his work is, when you look at a lot of things like these satellite dishes floating in space that were published in 1929, it, it's pretty <laughs> amazing that he was yeah. sort of like uh, he was kind of calling this stuff. And and I think a lot of that had to do with his uh, architecture background. He was. Um, trained as an architect and a fine artist, and I think he really had a technical know-how. Mm-hmm. So um, it's that idea of like, okay, if we put something into space, how would it function if it's spinning? And yeah, and he really had a great, you know, he couldn't draw people worth a damn. <laughs> people were all like <laughs> dolls that were jointed at the shoulders, you know, but no elbow joint. Like they were literally like mannequins. Um, but he he created fantastic monsters and and fantastic sort of like dinosaurs and alien beings and stuff like that alien worlds but his strength was was really like architecture and machinery he could do great stuff with um you know the city of the future the city 100 years hence you know yeah. and that was like new york in 2025 and, and that sort of thing so great great technical stuff and his machinery like i mentioned you know his, his spacesuits and all that everything had a really believability to it everything had a function on it. there wasn't just sort of like 
gizmos attached to the spacesuit for no reason. He had everything was sort of thought out. So, but anyways, his stuff really spoke to me yeah. for, for whatever reason. And um, like I mentioned, it's still it, it's still influential. Um, not as directly as it was when I first started maybe doing my own art. It was very sort of I think more apparent. Mm -hmm. But there's that sort of been filed in the back of my brain and it, and it just comes out in different ways whether it's sort of the weird color schemes or the uh, textures or you know bits and pieces sort of creep up creep out still has this always been something that you'd be exploring through your work like a lot of those similar themes and like this kind of 1950s b level or b movie yes yeah absolutely um i think along with the comics when i was a kid and the pulps i think that also came along with um all those terrible but fantastic b movies godzilla movies all the stop motion ray harryhausen stuff um mm -hmm. as well as all the crappy you know rubber costume you know terrible like wasp woman and all those um you know, terrible double feature type stuff. So yeah, there was sort of a, a real love of, of um, anything sort of fantastic and monstrous and uh, science fiction, you know, and Star Wars was out at that time. So Star Wars was also coming into it. And then, you know, to run, you go full circle, George Lucas was influenced by all the, you know, the Flash Gordon movie serials and um, amazing stories and all that. So I was really tapped into that, even though I didn't really know at the time that I think that was sort of George Lucas was looking that far back, but um, um, Star Wars, you know, really spoke to me and and, uh, and all that sort of stuff seemed to be on the rise back then and, and I was eating it up. It's funny, like, uh, one of the things I was thinking about, and you kind of ruined my question earlier, so it's like, because I know you're friends with Mark Pilon, uh, goes by Adamos, and you're both from Winnipeg, and I was like, it's really interesting, you guys must know each other because you're both coming from the same area but in completely different directions like his is like that atomic idealism where mm -hmm. yours is like this 50s just like rubber suit yeah horror yeah exactly yeah his is like bright and shiny and new and, and mine's like sort of like someone swept it off of the off of the the, the rug or you know something <laughs> like and put it you know dumped it outside but yeah definitely his yeah he has a real um yeah shiny bright and shiny style yeah. optimistic mine's a little more pessimistic i guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> his is used to advertise ubc while yours would be like reasons to stay away from the endowment lens yeah exactly yeah mine is a little bit more uh, yeah global warming is is here and in, in past and this is what happened yeah, I don't know. so was there a lot of um like those kind of like Saturday afternoon monster movie type things when you're a kid on TV specifically or yeah. um not as much as I would I would like I really yeah. again like the comics I sort of had to scrounge around we had like maybe one station we had three three B TV stations that we got reception for and one of them ran old movies and old episodes of the Twilight Zone stuff but you know if I could stay enough up late enough to watch it or, or you know, I might I might catch it. Otherwise, chances of seeing that stuff. They'd run King Kong, the 1933 King Kong, on Sunday afternoons. That was a big sort of mainstay. So for me, that was like, every time that was on, I was like glued to it. Um, but the more obscure stuff, not, not as much. I think I, I sort of started to discover that, you know. Um, I knew it was out there because I used to buy these like cracked magazines that had this sort of monster edition. And oh, yeah. it had all the bad captions and the bad jokes. So it was like I collected those not for the jokes, but just for the photos of these like amazing costumes and, um, you know, monster movie stills and that sort of thing. Um, but then by the 80s when, when, you know, VHS came about, 
uh, that's when I really started to discover some of the more mainstream sci-fi stuff in the 50s, like uh, War of the Worlds and then, like I mentioned, the Harryhausen movies and that. So how did that fold into you wanting to make art? I mean, you brought some of your, your childhood stuff here to show me, like... Books about thing. probes and, uh, yeah, lizard ship <laughs> attack. First um, issue. Only 10 cents? Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Uh, um... I was thinking, actually, one of the things I was thinking about before we jump into that is uh, the Mars Attacks cards. Like, that must have been really foundational for you at one point. I wasn't really aware of that until, like, way later. Oh, really? into the 90s. Yeah, I didn't really... That was just not anywhere That's on my funny. radar. Yeah, just didn't... That happened, so, like, I've talked to folks, like, that was really, like, no idea what you're talking yeah, I think until the like when the Tim Burton movie came out, I think just before that I'd sort of been uh, a bit aware of that series, but you know, totally over my head. Interesting. Yeah. What did you think when you saw it? Uh, the movie or the the cards? the cards like the old fifties paintings. Oh, I, I I sort of yeah instantly was was like enamored with them, and, and yeah. I mean I loved it. I've seen I'd seen Norm Saunders' work uh, before that in his uh, pulp form. Yeah, oh, okay. Pulp format, like pulp covers and that. Um, so, yeah, no, I love this sort of the odd, uh, violent scenarios of Mars <laughs> attacks. They're so weird. They're so off. Just dogs getting disintegrated and, and um, yeah, creepy creepy Martians looking into bedroom windows and stuff. I mean, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, no, I think I was, I was asking before about kind of how the this stuff was kind of folding into you doing work. So you're, ma- you're making comics as you're young. A young chap, um, did you just continue making art throughout high school? And um, you know, it kind of uh, they definitely sort of tapered off a bit during high school. I mean, I was I was in a commercial art school uh, program in high school, um, so I was sort of doing moving into practical applications of of, of artwork. Um, my or drawing for myself really sort of took uh, the the backseat to like. Um, partying and, and going out with friends and uh, discovering girls and, and that sort of stuff. So, um, and, you know, back in Winnipeg in the 80s, you could buy beer when you were 15 if you started, if you had a mustache coming out, <laughs> you know? So for me, I, I had a mustache when I was 12, so it was easy for me to, like, you know, get beer and that sort of thing. So it's I, probably still the same in Winnipeg. It's now. probably much the same, yeah. Um, so anyways, I kind of started to discover all that sort of teenage stuff and uh, going to concerts and all that. And, and really, at that point, sort of the artworks kind of took um, took a back seat. And I, I was sort of still, you know, following the creative thread, but I wasn't really drawing for myself from the late 80s until maybe the, the late... 90s, I guess. There was sort of a 10-year gap there. That's not uncommon. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess just so, finding yourself as a human being, maybe, and maybe thinking, like, oh, this is kid stuff, or, you know, or even just falling out of love with comics for a while, and, and sort of, like, move, you know, moving on, and, yeah, I guess just... There's a weird cyclicalness to it, like, even myself, I found at one point, in my early 20s, I got rid of all my comics, mm-hmm. you know, and now I do a podcast. Came back with a vengeance. Yeah, obscenely so. Um now in that time were you doing illustration work in the nineties? I went from um high school like commercial art in high school into uh interior design at the University of Manitoba, which is totally sort of yeah. not related 
to image making, but also still a creative sort of application. And I was looking to do something that was practical. I think I really, I didn't know anybody in Winnipeg that did art for a living. I wasn't connected with anybody and um, I was a bit lazy, so I didn't do any research on it either. And, and I sort of, uh, sort of fell into interior design through an uncle that was doing it. Um, and it seemed like something that was like, oh, cool, you get to draw like, these cool perspectives of, of uh, interiors and buildings and furniture and stuff like that. So I liked the drawing element of it. And there was sort of a creative part of it. And I thought, oh, I could probably do this for a living. And uh, did that through, you know, four years of university and moved away to Toronto and did that for a few years. And then started like, oh, I don't know. I started getting the illustration itch, I guess, and really wanted to do some image making. And I, I think I quickly quickly realized that interior design was like a small just one of like dozens of creative professions that I could apply art to. And yeah. I think I, I quickly realized that this was something that while I could, I was capable of doing it and, and could do it pretty well. Um, it lacked that sort of, uh, I don't know, that, that sort of grittiness of, of B movies and comics and just that, you know, the, the narrative elements and I, you know, it, I tried to, I, I kind of tried to squash all that for a while, but it, it came back, it crept back, <laughs> and eventually, you know... You just can't lock it away. No, and eventually I was sort of like, I started doing sort of more comics maybe around the, the mid-90s, so maybe that 10-year gap was a little bit shorter than I mentioned, but um, I did start to do sort of some self-published comics uh, around the mid-90s, and I think there was a... I don't remember what the guide... It was like a magazine that came out that was basically a zine guide and told people where they could order all these sort of... Um, oh, I should know the name. Zines from... Yeah. Anyway, so that was sort yeah. of like putting my stuff in there and people were mailing away. I think I sold like 25 of my first comic and even less of the of the second one. But um, yeah, so I, I think at that point I was like... I realized that, yeah, I want to do some more image-making stuff and the illustration illustration work that I've seen um, really intrigued me and, and actually in the interior design office I was in in Toronto there was a graphic design office small small firm but they were doing really great work um, and um, they had hired some illustrators to do different projects and I kind of got a little bit more exposed to um, illustration realizing it's like oh like that's sort of what I want to do I, I love drawing perspectives but I don't like so much designing yeah. The rest, you know, it's like sort of. I just want to draw, and I, I that's what I realized. Um, and so, what point did you see your the style that we say now, like that we see in um, not Mean Girls Club, but the other, yeah, <laughs> like older than that, yeah. Um, like, like uh, how did that? Did you see that coming out pretty quickly? Um, oh boy, uh, quickly. I don't know about quickly, but. Uh, when it came out, yeah, I guess so. Because when it came out, it was sort of formed already. There was there was sort of a, a retro look that I, I think that just came out in my work without trying too hard, just because that's what my influences were. So when I started sort of, and I got, you know, I got my, I got a new sketchbook again. I started sort of drawing for myself and playing with gouache. And, and um, yeah, I think things did sort of shape up relatively fast in terms of like um, a style although that style is quite different than what I do now but there's those roots of, of uh, sort of pinup type art or mm -hmm. yeah b-movies or just a more sort of um, painterly look I guess more more rendered and that's what I was sort of really interested in doing something that was sort of a little bit more Norman Rockwell you know mm -hmm. a little bit more of a throwback Norman Rockwell with monsters yeah yeah Norman <laughs> 
Yeah, Norman Orson H.G. Well Rockwells. Yeah, no, that's was terrible. We'll, we'll, we'll let you have it. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, yeah, so um, I had, yeah, I just started uh, sort of uh, fooling around with some, some different techniques and, and uh, had uh, kind of cobbled together this little set of postcards that I was hoping to kind of mail out to design firms and magazines and stuff. And, and, uh, and that early card set was sort of very sci-fi based, so I was just going for that, that sci-fi look that I loved a lot. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, it was very narrow when you're trying to get jobs in, in publishing for illustration. And you're sending people, like, you know, these, these sort of ray guns and floating brains and, and, and things. It's like, that's really... That's a niche. That's a really niche. Mark, that's real not niche something market. you would suggest to your students now. No, no, no. It was pretty. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty naive for sure. But, um, but I think one of the the places I, I mailed them off to, uh, Kate Larkworth, the artist representation, must have seen something in it because they uh, sort of took me under their wing and and uh, put me on their roster of illustrators. And that would be probably like 1999, oh, I okay. guess. Uh, th- this was sort of just based on the card set. I didn't really have a body of work. So uh, Kate really helped me to um, get uh, sort of uh, a portfolio together in terms of more practical illustration, less ray guns and floating brains, and a little yeah. bit more sort of like fitness, lifestyle, uh, caricatures, that sort of, you know, that sort of thing. And so from that, do you find, like, making the work that eventually be in, like, the in the Spook Show book or, like, for Blab kind of allowing you to use different muscles to kind of, I'm going to get out this weird world with a bunch of naked women running around to look like from the 50s? And... Yeah, well, the, 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 the straight-up illustration came first, and I really focused on my getting my illustration career off the ground. I left out that I was working also in animation. I sort of transitioned from interior design into animation when oh, I moved from okay. Winnipeg to Vancouver um, and I was working at like Bardell and Studio B and um, sort of doing uh, more of the sort of uh, character cleanup and an in-betweening and that sort of thing and again sort of a five-year lifespan and then I realized it's like this has no it's sort a of tough grind it's tough yeah and it was hard on the on the, the old carpal tunnel and, and it was um, just there was sort of a bit dry didn't it didn't uh, have that sort of creative yeah thing that I was looking for same like interior design was even more creative so it was sort of like well this is almost 90s animation was rough yeah I think we can we can agree that it was yeah. not a great I mean now if you were at the same age getting into it you'd probably be having a hell of a time because I know folks working on stuff and they're really able to like play around more and do weird stuff and that's mm-hmm. okay now but back then yeah it was pretty rigid and you know it was it was uh, that was a great way to make a living. I wasn't complaining. Um, the money was was quite good, and the crew I worked with was great. And um, the only thing that was lacking was the work. I think it was the the sort of the quality of work and the creativity. So yeah. again, it was like, what am I? What can I do? I still had illustration in the back of my brain. I was itching to do that sort of thing. Um, and so when I when I uh, got on Kate's roster, uh, I sort of really worked really hard for about five years to to get some work under my belt, to get some jobs uh, going, to get a name for myself. So the first five years of that, from '99 to about 2004, was just uh, magazine work. Yeah. Um, but then after that five year period, I started to see um, people in the uh, illustration annuals, um, Mark Ryden and Gary Baseman and uh, uh, Clayton Brothers and there was this sort of other personal side that was happening in illustration that mm-hmm. was really 
speaking to me. Um, so I started to sort of fool around with um, personal work at that mm. point, starting with this sort of obscene trio of Popeye paintings that my brother had asked me to do for him <laughs> for his birthday. So um, <laughs> so I was like, oh, I love Popeye. Um, <clears throat> so um, anyway, so that was sort of my, my early attempt at like this acrylic sort of... Uh, Neo Roshi sort of like Tijuana Bible blend going on uh, with this, this these Popeye paintings. So I was sort of like playing with typography and and um, and making sort of creating aged work and, and and that sort of thing. So that's sort of what launched the the personal side. So did you send out like portfolios to galleries and stuff? Because it's kind of it's I imagine it's a little more difficult breaking in and getting attention in like L.A. galleries from Vancouver yeah um, I, I definitely started local um, I had hooked up with some illustrators in town um, Mark Pilon being one of them you mentioned and uh, Luke Latulipe uh, Mia Hansen um, there's a few other people in, involved in that group that, that we called it named the group uh, Jupiter Project and um, I think we were all sort of looking to, to get out to sort of have a, a network have a community because mm-hmm. we were all working in isolation as illustrators, we wanted a little bit more than that. So uh, Mark Pilon had the most experience in the gallery world and sort of set up some shows um, for us, uh, some group shows, which is great. We got some really good sort of local exposure, made some made some sales, produced some personal artwork, and it was really um, just fun events, too. Yeah. They were really sort of low-key. It wasn't traditional galleries. It was more like pop-up, you know, uh, early pop-up in, in 2005, doing sort of renting spaces and... Um, showing at a little place called the Columbia Gallery. Um, is that at the like the the bar of the Columbia? No, this was like Columbia, and I think it was like twenty fifth or something or sixteenth. I can't remember. Basically oh, around yeah. I think a, I know like Clo- Columbia's closer to Canby, and it's like yeah, it used to be exactly. like a corner store. Yeah, a little corner store. Yeah. yeah, it was it was literally the middle of residential this residential neighborhood. And there was this corner store that was now converted to like a rental place. There yeah. was yoga classes were there, um, art classes, art shows, that sort of thing. So we started doing doing the sort of the pop up thing, which was really fun um, at that point. Really, no pressure. Um, it allowed me to sort of build up the the personal work. Um, I also did a show at El Cartel when they were yeah. on Robson. Um, I did a, a couple of shows there. That's actually how this the Spook Show came about. That was That's my, a- my second show. It's really neat for, like, El Cartel, you think initially it's just a shoe store and skate store, but they really try, because I know Luke Ramsey's did a bunch of stuff there, and they've really tried to support a lot of different artists. They were fantastic. They were yeah. so they were really good to me, and, and like I said, two shows there. The first was sort of a, a pinup-based um, show, and then the second was the ABC uh, Halloween-themed show, where it was like, uh, it was a great excuse, excuse for me to do a personal art show, but also I had in mind to do a self-published book. So this was the excuse for me to produce the work for the book, have an art show, make some money off the art, but then turn around and use that money to self-publish my own book. Mm-hmm. So That's the spook um, show. Yeah. So um, that was, yeah, all the sort of the, the early start was all sort of in Vancouver. And then from there with the like the pinup show, I was able to sort of take that to... Um, Send send some JPEGs to Rock the Rue in Seattle and say, or you know, maybe if you're interested, I'd love to do some work with your gallery." And and uh, ended up getting invited to do a group show there. So just mm-hmm. bits and pieces, you know, just really uh, it. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was 
easy, but I also wouldn't say I had a really tough time of it because mm-hmm. I really, I think I just got in my work fit. Um, I managed to do these, these group shows in, in LA at Lelou's and um, uh, in, in Seattle at Rock LaRue. I think there was um, the Orbit Gallery in New Jersey or New York was happening then too. So um, yeah, just sort of group shows and, and then sort of more focused group shows with two other artists or three other artists and then eventually solo shows. So everything was, was very gradual. Rock LaRue is such a neat space for the Pacific Northwest. Like pretty unique it's i remember the first time i went there i was like how is this around <laughs> it's like this is too good for us the first show i saw there was chris ware and dan close was oh, were, were showing their like comic work and it yeah. was like i i can't i mean i didn't have you know eight hundred dollars at the time to buy an original chris ware page but i'm kicking still, myself I'm now. still pissed <laughs> um you know but it was yeah. like i you know went in there and i got to, to meet me uh kirsten uh, who runs the has run the gallery for well over ten years now, and um, it was great. Her focus has changed from you know back then it was definitely a sort of more comics and pinups and stuff, and it's a little bit more sort of uh, painterly realism, um, not entirely, but a lot of a lot of the work. Um, but yeah, that stuff is really blown up too, more than comics imagery and stuff the, as far as like reception from audiences and stuff. I yeah, think. you mean like um, like. The painted, painted yeah document. yeah definitely um yeah in terms of like galleries um i think there's still interest in galleries for comic based work but uh right now there's definitely a huge trend towards like photorealism um and and very intricate very skillful technical you know oil paintings and that sort of thing a whole lot of people that really like mark ryden Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, me included. I'm uh, big, definitely definitely a big fan. Um, him and Marion, Marion Peck, are powerhouse couple. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're great. Yeah, we had a chance to meet them not too long ago, too, and they're just, you know, just fantastic and welcoming people, and I don't know, just, it's, uh, it was a great, great afternoon to get to, to, to meet those two. So as you got more into doing um, your painted work, um, I'm curious, like how some of the the things, as as we're talking about this childhood interest and the pulp and the comics are popping through. Um, and one of the things I was saying beforehand is your work has even the pieces themselves have really narrative aspect to it, as well. Um, I don't even know what my question is, but I kind of want to talk more about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> the, the the kind of bringing through the narrative. So we're, when when we talk a lot about the the kind of area of art you're in um a lot it is a lot of singular images not necessarily as focused on on capturing a narrative point do you kind of see your work taking place in a story by itself um yeah i think uh, pretty early on when i started sort of producing work that uh was sort of outside of the the, the pinup stuff or the halloween stuff and a little bit more just sort of weird one-off sort of imagery that was sort yeah. of holding its, you know, sort of holding its own as, as a single image. Um, I definitely sort of saw it as um, the image as a panel of a bigger comic. Yeah. Um, or something on, on the on the left side and something on the right side. So sort of this invisible, you know, triptych with the, the middle image being visible still. Yeah. Um, so there, uh, there always was sort of a, a narrative element to it. Even if I hadn't, I don't have, I didn't have it scripted in my head or necessarily knew what was going on. Um, I, I, I like that element of 
it's coming from somewhere and it's going somewhere, but the viewer doesn't know where. And to yeah. me, I, I like that sort of um, mysterious quality. I think that's, you know, um, with, with the, the David Lynch, I love David Lynch's work, and his work, to me, has that element of, like, you know, yeah. WTF, I don't know what's going on, but it, but it's like... You need to decide what's going you on. You need for to yourself. decide. Yeah, exactly. And you can sort of you kind of kind of fill in the story for yourself. And I really like that. I don't. I I, I never really liked having everything told to me. Yeah. Um, you know, or I like a variety of, of things. But in in terms of I guess the way I like to tell a story, I, I like some mystery. I like some sort of elements of, of surrealism. Do you have something in mind in your head that is the that like part A and part C? Uh, sometimes I do, and sometimes it's just a sort of a random image will pop into my head that is just what it is. Yeah. And um, I guess, for instance, uh, I think um, the I think in that I brought a little pink catalog of one of the Italy shows, and I think there's a, a painting in it. Uh, oh, sorry, no, it's not that one. It's the the show before it. But it's like uh, Frog Wife's Bad Day, and it's a picture of a sort of a '50s housewife, but she's basically green skinned and she's got these sort of buggy eyes, and she's smoking a cigarette and her she dropped a jar of flies on the ground that broke and, and her pan on the stove is is burning and smoke's going everywhere and she's just sort of taking she's just having a drag of the cigarette in the middle of this kitchen just she's just giving up you know yeah um so that sort of thing it's like i i don't necessarily have the story in mind but i sort of know that she's having an awful she's having an off day so i know that that's sort of, and then from there for uh, the reason i bring up the frog wife is because um, years later, I took that character and I turned that into sort of a 12-panel um, hand-painted comic um, as a piece of art sort of that would um, be under glass, uh, framed on the wall in a gallery. And um, so I was able to sort of build on that simple sort of one-off imagery and sort of like, oh, yeah, this does have more to it. I want to sort of tell the story of, of Frog Wife. Yeah. Um, so in some cases, I don't have everything necessarily planned out in my head but um i know that there's more life there and sometimes they get that sort of chance to live in another painting or a hand-painted comic or something and then sometimes they die (laughs) (laughs) and then sometimes they just go dormant and you know they're still waiting to uh, wing to reemerge. but um, one of the things i was thinking i was just flipping through this book and how horrific some of the situations are (laughs) like there's one here where there's these weird walking trees with these kind of vagina mouths <laughs> spraying out this like green ooze that's entrapping this like amazonian troop of 1940s superheroines uh running away it sounds worse than it <laughs> looks to me but i mean people can come up with their own image or they can find it online i guess but probably your own visual that's of that reading. is going to be more interesting than the painting can i just to t- to punctuate it at the bottom corner you have the text and night creepers yeah <laughs> so, it's not good whatever's happening there it's not, it's not good um yeah no i do i sort of i yeah definitely interested in coming up with um uh different sort of horrific scenarios i think more so years ago than i do now now i think my work i i, I tend to sort of pair pair back from the um excuse me the pulp comic-y sort of uh blatant content and sort of and 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 sort of go into the sort of the realms of 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 mystery and surrealism and and um 
keep things a little bit understated, I think. That's what I'm sort of going for now. It's hard for me, because coming from pulps and comics where, where nothing was understated in yeah. the 40s and 50s and 60s, um, it's, it's so ingrained in my head that I really have to um, make an effort to bring it back to the point where it's like, uh, where it needs to be for me, I guess. And that's different with every painting, but um, I, I wrestle with that because... I reached a point in my personal work where, where I, I sort of decided I, I didn't want to be as influenced by superheroes and science fiction and rocket ships and pulps and, and all that. I didn't want to have, I didn't want to be known as the, that yeah. guy, that pulp guy or something. Yeah. I wanted it to sort of be in the background um, and always be an influence, but but not be on the surface. I it's wanted not a to crush. bring something. Yeah, I, I wanted to bring something new to it. I, I, I didn't want to sort of paint another rocket pack or, I, you know, uh, that sort of thing. So um, even the pinup stuff, I swore to, you know, I, I swore years ago that I never wanted to paint pinups again. But I think I've found a way to sort of make it my own sort of pinup style where I'm not sort of doing the traditional... Um, pinups I was doing more in the in sort of 2005 um, you know they're, they're really sort of Vargasy, um, Gil Elfgren sort of pinups uh, with the science fiction slant um, I'm doing a little bit more uh, going a little bit more sort of in that Roger Corman direction now yeah. but also start, sort of trying to introduce the element of um, of mystery and uh, and fashion and and just sort of keep it away from the obvious references yeah. I think as much as I can yeah no and it and, and I actually I really like the I want to talk a bit about the fashion part because even uh, the the Mean Girls Club there's very specific fashion choice with it and it worked really amazingly um, yeah I mean I guess their uniform is sort of pencil skirts and uh, short sleeve tops for the most part and, and everything sort of cut the same and their their high heels are all the same brand and everything there's a there's a, there's a uniform there it's they're sort of like high heels too yeah they're <laughs> they're definitely um yeah we could do some damage um yeah they're made for puncturing is what they're yeah yeah uh but yeah there's definitely sort of a, a uniform that was developed with the, the the mean girls where it sort of uh harkens back to that that sort of ed wood you know yeah. roger corman sort of era but um it's like you ever look at um I think it was like Bizarre magazine mm -hmm. yeah and, and like the kind of femdom stuff definitely that yeah definitely Bizarre magazine was sort of an, an influence with the the Mean Girls I mean the the leader uh, Pinky wears sort of a, what appears to be a latex very high gloss latex um, outfit yeah um, you know the heels the sort of there's elements of uh, bondage and torture in the you know in the uh, in the comic book. Um, it's not for kids. Yeah, no. Um, it's yeah. It's basically what I you know. Once I finished Robot Town, I followed it up with Mean Girls Club. So it's uh, I don't know. It's uh, I, I think I sort of realized too that I think my calling is more uh, in terms of publishing. I think my calling is is more in comics for adults and not so much the the children's books. Um, although I. I would love to do sort of a, a, a crazy chapter book for kids at some point, but I just haven't sort of hit the right formula for that. Yet. When you did the kids' books, um, do you find yourself having to hold back then? Um, a little bit. I, it, I don't know. My mind always sort of just goes in bizarre or sort of like dirty directions sort of naturally, and then I sort of like, oh, this is 
this would be great for something else other than a kid's <laughs> book. And and it's just sort of a constant like it's a constant struggle to sort of it's a constant editing process if I'm if I'm working on like a pitch for a kid's book or something because everything ends up I just want to it just wants to go in that direction. And I'm not a I don't consider myself a weird guy or anything like that, but I get all this sort of that out in my art and I I think yeah. My mind just sort of wants to sort of naturally produce art in that in that sort of direction. So it's more the Mean Girls is much more of a, a natural expression for me than, and it's also very expressive as a book in comparison to your other work. Um, how so? The uh, well, I mean, it's all confrontation with these like powerful women coming in and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I didn't set out to do anything in particular in terms of like uh, any sort of statements about no. strong women or anything like that. I mean, I, I definitely um, have always admired strong women, and I, I, I'm sure there's people out there that are looking at Mean Girls Club and just thinking this is like a disgusting piece of trash. This is exploiting women or this is just that's you know loss. what's that that's their loss yeah well yeah I mean, there's always this sort of there's there's always debate and there's always like room for interpretation and and uh but so far i mean feedback has been good i think the people that that really like it are very into it and the people that don't get it haven't sort of reared their head at this point and whatever that's fine everybody you know everybody has their their opinions i definitely didn't want to do anything um Offensive. I'm not out to offend people. Some people do that really well, and I think I'm too sort of like on the safe side to really do that, you know. So yeah. I, I I never wanted to be like I'm going to produce the the most rank offensive comic ever. Um, but I did want to do something that was fun. I think yeah. fun in that sort of like you know um, juvenile delinquent movie. It's, way. It kind of reminds me of like a Russ Myers experience yeah russ myers reefer madness the whole that all that sort of i, I campiness you know i, I yeah. love i love campiness and and i love uh cult movies and um i really wanted to sort of tap into that and um just sort of create a rambling i wouldn't even call it a story there's really no plot to it it's 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 you know it's literally as plotless as a roger corman movie I mean, <laughs> it's 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 sort of like it's just it's really events and it's very event driven and I think when I when I conceived it, um, I started just thinking of what events do I want to portray in comic form, you know, yeah. and then just sort of intertwined it all in some sort of loose, you know, a day out, you know, sort of like a a day in the life of sort of, of the thing. girls, yeah, it's, yeah, pretty simple. Now, when you released it, you also did other kind of work related to it, like you did. Was it dioramas? I think I saw. Uh, yeah, the well, the the show was um, the Mean Girls comic was part of a show at uh, Wyden Kennedy, which is an ad agency in, in Portland. Um, I guess the the biggest in Portland and, and a really sort of a, a heavy hitter in, in, in the states and in the world for, for that matter. But they have a, they have sort of a, a, a main lobby space and they do um, monthly art shows there um, and. Um, a friend of mine sort of got me in touch with the, the curator of that space, and I, I pitched them the idea to do an art show there. Um, it wasn't initially Mean Girls. It was just sort of like ideas for installation. Um, they wanted everything but a 
painted art show. They didn't want paintings and uh, framed paintings on the wall. They wanted everything but that. They wanted installation. They wanted things hanging from the ceiling, um, <laughs> prints, uh, models. I mean, anything sort of other than a straight up art show, yeah. which I had never done before. Um, and it made me really nervous, but I, I, I took it on um, uh, with the thought that I could really get to exercise all these sort of areas that I hadn't really got to do since I was a kid, yeah. like um, making stop motion Super 8 movies, um, doing comic books, um, you know, um, I never painted a mural before, so painting the mural was sort of part of it. Um, what was the mural screens. like? The mural was, it was really simple, it was sort of uh, more or less the logo on the back, oh, okay. it was sort of the skull, skull head with the pink wig. Um, and uh, I think I created sort of a paper, a large paper banner to go above it that said Mean Girls Club. So um, I think in the, the, the mural also there was sort of these like painted elements that were sort of stuck, a little, little bit more of a 3D elements in the eyes, the nose um, that had some captions on them. So it was sort of a, a large, uh, simple, but sort of a bit of a 3D mural. Uh, going on the main thing in the space was the uh, was the installation um, of the clubhouse so there was in the comic uh, the mean girls have this this crappy clubhouse and um, uh, Wyden Kennedy has these great resources they have workshops they have silkscreen uh, facilities they have just endless amounts of, of resources and they also had a budget for the show where they were able to say we have X amount of dollars what would you like to do with that so it's awesome um, yeah it was fantastic again sort of this opportunity to do some do something um, immersive where I don't have to worry about selling it yeah I don't have to worry about sort of like I have to make money off this it's like that's not really the point of this and that's that like frankly in the in the area work and that's it that can be a dangerous challenge with folks like here, submit to our themed group show, and it bothers me. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, Sorry, my own diatribe. Yeah, no, no, no problem. Um, but it was, yeah, it sort of, there was a lot of challenges wrapped up in the show that I was uh, really excited about and also kind of crapping my pants about, uh, which is always a good thing for an artist to feel, I think, yeah. if, you're, if, you're, if you're not nervous, if you're not sort of unsure, I, I think you're not doing something right. Um, but the, uh, there was a full-size clubhouse that, that um, the crew at Wyden Kennedy built um, with, uh, according to my specs. And uh, they had these sort of like portholes in the side that you looked into. You couldn't actually go in the clubhouse, but when you looked in the portholes, for instance, um, your head sort of got stuck through. You, you kind of stuck your head through this uh, taxidermy plaque. So when you're looking through, oh. the, looking in the other side of the uh, the clubhouse, yeah. and someone else is sticking their head in, um, you become this sort of human taxidermy. And there's a there's a film that's running in the uh, in the clubhouse of the Mean Girls that stars a whole bunch of my friends. Um, it has sort of elements of stop motion in it, um, and that video is actually on YouTube and Vimeo. If you search Mean Girls Club, you'll 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 come across it. So there was a sort of a, a big um, immersive element That's as well, awesome. where people could walk around it, they could stick their head in it, they could laugh at their friends. And then you, know. you do that in the comic. And then in the comic, that also appears. So there was sort of as I was coming up with the comic, I was coming up with a show and sort of playing them off each other. Um, so the clubhouse was designed for the comic, and then I sort of just took that as the uh, the blueprint for the installation in the uh, in this large yeah. space. And the, again, the crew at Wyden Kennedy formed this like chicken wire, um, cotton sort of uh, smoke cloud, this billowing sort of black and charcoal colored smoke cloud that they hung from the ceiling. So it became this really sort of weird 
B-movie-ish sort yeah. of set that you walked into. Um, That's amazing. It was really cool. I mean, I could show you some photos on my phone later on. Uh, but uh, it was it was a really great opportunity um, that I, I really couldn't pass up. And, and uh, I had a lot of help from friends. Uh, my wife, Marinda, was, helped me a lot. She was actually sort of the one who convinced me to do the show, even though it was sort of a not non-painted show. Um, but there was that sort of opportunity that that was uh, too good to pass up. So um, it sounds like it really pushed you into like trying something different. It, and it into, feels like this Mean Girls came directly out of that. Like, it did. If I, if, I, if I didn't have that show, the Mean Girls comic probably wouldn't have been done because I would just be too worried about like, oh, what am I going to, how do I have time to do this comic? I don't, yeah. you know, I got to earn a living. I have to do illustration work or I have to do this. And, and the, the comic was sort of this great vanity project that I was just able to, you know, like, well, I'm going to set aside a month and I'm going to plot a comic. I'm going to draw a comic. I'm going to ink a comic and I'm going to yeah. get it all done in a month. And I've got this amount of time to do it. Um, and then working with the Rizograph, uh, being sort of very limited in its print quality, I was only going to take the art to a certain level of finish because yeah. anything beyond that, you're just losing your line work. Yep. All that sort of beautiful hatching and, you know, that uh, sort of Graham Ingle's sort of um, moody inking. Number one, I'm not even capable of doing that. And number two, um, you're, it's just going to get lost anyway. Yep. So I was sort of um, leaving out the sort of the line work quality uh, in order to sort of capture the the tonal, playing up the tonal quality and sort of playing down the, the line work, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. And I mean, it's that's evident. If you ever look at, um, I remember, what was the guy's name that did the the Human Torch originally? Oh my God, I can't remember his name. Golden Age artist. Carl Burgos? No. After him? Oh, not, um, not the Human Torch. He did the, um, oh my God, oh, my brain's really not working today. <laughs> um... He died in the 60s. Was it Bill Everett? I'm just throwing it out there. Okay, cool. It is. Yeah. Um, and I remember seeing an original drawing by Bill Everett. In a, it was in the back of a comic. Like, there's a, here's a page from that. And it's this amazingly, beautifully rendered thing. And then you look at the comic, and it's just this, like, splat. Exactly. Of just, like... And a lot of those Golden Age guys were like that, where they do that. It's amazing oh, it's detail. Like Lou Fine's work? You know, yeah. like any Lou Fine. Well, I don't know. If the, I don't know if there's any original. There's some original Lou Fine out there, I think. Um, but anything, like you say, anything like that, where you're where you're looking at this sort of beautiful, intricate line work, and then it gets printed on newsprint in the 1940s, and it just bleed. Everything bleeds together, and three lines become one line, and, yeah. and all the hatching becomes a mess. And then they're putting color over it, so then it's like even further lost under these under these layers but um oh yeah those people had amazing skills bill everett in particular yeah. his stuff is like see i've seen a few originals and uh, metropolis in in new york metropolis comics has a great submariner page from the early 40s and it's like it's stunning there we go submariner not human torch yeah <laughs> i'm sorry golden age aficionados <laughs> that are listening all three of you <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it's neat how you kind of taken these things into creating this artistic object that reflects these different things coming in. It's fun. It was really, it was, it was very fun to do. I mean, um, it, it, the, the comic part didn't come that easy to me. There was, there was some redraws and some, you know, gluing 
new panels over old panels and, and that sort of thing. And I, I learned a lot. Um, I, I think I, I learned how I like to tell a story. Um, I, I definitely don't think in, in a linear fashion. Excuse me, I've tried to pitch um, other sort of chapter book ideas, like kids' chapter book ideas and comic ideas. And I, I have to try so hard to come up with something that, like a linear plot that makes sense, that I just, I realized that as I move forward, I think I need to just sort of stick with these sort of, you know, surreal, nonlinear, you know, don't worry too much about a plot as much as just developing this, this world and this sort of rich, you know, this rich sort of um, look and feel yeah. and, and, and texture and, and, uh, and atmosphere, I think, is, is sort of what I'm caught up with and, that, and interested in. That visceralness. Yeah, you know, let's uh, yeah. to it. Uh, I'm you know let the Alan Moore's tell the the great tales. And <laughs> I'll just you know I'll just do what I do. I think, and and if people like it, that's that's cool. And um, um, yeah, I know my I know my limitations as a storyteller for sure. Well, I I really loved it, and I I do hope folks check it out. Like I think it's a it's a really fun comic, and it's um, it's just neat to see trying different things. I'm I'm a big fan of of non-traditional story not i feel that i feel like that i'm saying that as a disservice but it's it's fun it's yeah. a lot of fun. well it's it's so traditional that it's not traditional anymore yeah. you know it's <laughs> it's sort of so 1950s and 1940s that it's sort of probably doesn't really look like a lot out there you know it's sort of um and i think as i move forward and do more more comic projects i would like to sort of play up that look even more and start to really yeah. you know um play with the textures and play with the sort of the the, the misprinting and and uh, even just make it sort of part of the comic, you know, like the way Tex Avery would sort of run in his cartoons, you know, he would run a sort of a hair in the bottom corner and then eventually a character would get annoyed and sort of pluck, pluck it. it out, yeah. you know, and <laughs> just kind of recognize the sort of the, 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 the limitations of the media and sort of play them up as part of the comic rather yeah. than ignore them, so... Yeah, and I definitely would. I would love to do some more stuff. So I'm sort of at the point now where I'm looking at the second project, um, which I I don't know at this point. I can't really say anything because I don't want to jinx it, and nothing's for sure. But um, but I I I definitely sort of want to dedicate some more time to to comics. Is that a big challenge for you? Because like you mentioned beforehand, you have um, some particular painted stuff you can work on, and that must take quite a lot of time. Like, do you find when you're working on a project, you got to do that one and then move on to the next? Or do you um, kind of... I used to work that way, and now I kind of actually like to have a bunch of things going at the same time, only because I can take a break from one, um, move on to the other, and come back refreshed to yeah. the first one. Um, if I move through something in a linear fashion, um, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. I'm gonna There's going to be a lot of things that sort of slip through the cracks yeah. that I don't see. But if I can sort of like put it aside and come back to it as a third party sort of fresh eye, um, I can start to catch things a lot easier. So um, I, that's why I'm sort of at this point lining up um, painting commissions um, along with the sort of the next comic project. So I can really sort of balance them off. Um, I think if I just had to paint, I would go insane. If I just had to do comics, I would go insane. I think I need I need a balance. I, I would. I, I can't. I can't just do one thing week after week. Um, I could focus on a comic for a, a couple months probably, but I, even within that, I need to sort of um, break that up and, yeah. and, and get away from it to in order to love it again. I need yep. to sort of yeah 
be removed be removed from it. Yeah, no, totally. Keep the joy. Yeah, and also um, along those lines too, I've just been really um, editing what I do lately. I used to, as a freelancer, I used to really just take on everything that came my way, and now um, I'm really sort of at the point where um, I'm fortunate that that some things are coming along that are sort of larger, uh, more substantial projects um, to begin with, but also I'm just sort of, I'm turning down a lot more stuff than I ever yeah. did, and it makes me super nervous. I, yeah. That feeling as a freelancer to turn down work doesn't feel right to me yet. You know, <laughs> it's very strange, but it's uh, I have to in order to, sort of, you know, you have to make that, continue to make these leaps and, and take, take those chances. Well, I think that's going to come with, like, the longer you've been doing stuff, the more recognized you are. The more people know it, the more people want your stuff. At the same time, you probably also don't paint as quick as you may have. 10, no, no, ago. everything takes longer now, and because I'm, yeah, I think I'm putting. Uh, it's less sort of at that experimental, quick stage of like moving on to the next thing, trying something different out, and now it's sort of like taking that and and sort of blowing it up to a wall size painting and spending two months on it you know yeah. instead of doing something that took me two days it's a it's a i'm wrapping i'm still i'm trying to wrap my head around this sort of new scale of painting that i'm doing um and and along with that sort of the next level of of comic book which will be more involved which will be more of a um labor intensive sort of bigger mm -hmm. project so everything's sort of scaling up and my head is still the same size so I'm like trying to sort of wrap my head around these, these. so you're doing quite large uh, I am at the moment yeah uh, I'm sort of on the on the beginning of these sort of uh, the series of commissions that I'm, I'm working on and uh, they're they're pretty big they're like sort of one meter by one meter one and a half meters sort of squarish in proportion um, yeah and then you know sort of more horizontal or more vertical but um, yeah, sort of a, a, a sort of a, a, a big step forward into the the scale, yeah. and trying to sort of translate my brushstroke from you know a size <laughs> one to a size ten, you know, and sort of like how does that look now? What is the what is you know I'm so used to painting with small brushes and doing a lot of fine detail, and. Yeah. Um, it's not as simple as just like making it bigger. No, it's not just blowing it up on a on a photocopier or something and just now it looks like this. It's sort of like translating your your line work um, and your sort of your yeah. technique into a different scale. It's like yeah. I said, trying to wrap my head around around this. Good but uh, yeah, no, I, I love. I mean, I love challenges. If I don't have those challenges, I like I said before, I feel like I'm not performing. I'm not doing. I'm not living up to potential. So I. I I, I like to feel nervous, even though at the time it's, yeah. You're not falling for complacency. No, I try not to. Uh, I definitely try not to. It, 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 uh, if I start to feel like that, it really bothers me. It really sort of gets under my skin and starts to drive my wife crazy. So I really have to sort of like, <laughs> you know, to keep the peace, I got I to gotta sort of like figure out how to you know to keep the peace and also just to keep myself sane and, and and earn a living i need to sort of figure out how to combat these like feelings of inadequacy or uncertainty and sort of like get over it you know yeah. and just move past it and, and move on to the next thing do you work from home or do you use the studio i do i work from home so um There's one thing that's really saved me is, is teaching at, at emily carr university for uh one day a week gets me out of the house uh gets me talking to other human beings and changes the scenery up a little bit and uh, helps me sort of 
think in a, in a different creative way um, outside of that sort of box that I live in. Is that for their illustration program? Or yes. Or is it, yeah, and what is it you particularly focus um, on? Oh, I, I've taught a number of different things. I've taught a, um, a, a three-credit-hour comics course. Um, I've taught uh, sort of illustrating narrative uh, methods and materials course. Um, right now I'm sort of doing... Um, conceptualization and, and ideation so a number of different things mm -hmm. I, I sort of like the challenge that each one sort of um, brings to the table so it's not just doing the same course every semester yeah I've taught this one that I'm teaching now before but up until this point it's been different so it's kind of nice I can coast a little bit but also sort of fine-tune what there's I did some, the first time yeah there's some challenges in there when you're changing things up so yeah much. yeah I'm definitely editing I'm not I'm not super happy with what I did the first time so I'm sort of uh, ramping it up a bit. Nice. Well, thank you for joining me today, Ryan. Yeah, thank you, Robin. It's been a pleasure. Reminder, folks, I've been talking to Ryan Heshka, and his new book, From No Brow, is Mean Girls Club, as well as you can find a whole lot of other stuff on his website, ryanheshka.com. That's right, yeah. There we go. It'll be linked on the thing. Thank you. I can't get